0: Welcome to the Mortise and Tenon magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 68. I'm Joshua Klein.
1: And I'm Mike Updegraff. And uh, in the news around here, we have our next issue, issue 16, uh, heavy in development right mm-hmm. now. It's, in
0: design, yep. uh, working out the details, putting pieces into place, uh, starting to think about at some point here, setting, sending it off to the copy editor. Yep. Uh, so we still have some more stuff to do but
1: but not much yeah honestly. Uh, these are the last stages where we are um, you know filling out the bulk uh, inside the magazine and then we we start to look at those details and say, oh yeah, I almost forgot that or yeah we have to we have to do this with this spread or this with that spread. And so it's a lot of fine-tuning um, but I'd say the bulk of the filling out is is wrapping up. Yeah. So it's it's a good place to come to. Uh, and we see the light at the end of the tunnel for issue 16.
0: Yep. So yeah, issue 16 will be going <laughs> to the printer very soon. And then as soon as we do that, we're going to be starting to think about the apprenticeship program is yeah. starting up and we're going back to the house. So mm-hmm. the apprenticeship program, we're super excited about this next term. We do this once a year now. We We did this a little bit more frequently in the past, but life is life and we have a lot of irons in the fire. So- once a year, we have our mm-hmm. apprenticeship term, um, and if you are interested in this eight-week online program uh, where you're working in your shop, we have assignments for you every week. Uh, three times a week, we have office hours where there are video responses to questions, and so there's this um, this dialogue back and forth. Um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, if you if you've been... Thinking, I would love to at some point just set aside some time to learn how to work wood, but I just can't. I can't afford to go off to that class, or I can't budget a whole week where I'm gone for you know, right. seven days at mm-hmm. a time. I don't have that vacation time in my job. I just need something I can fit into my daily life. That's what this is designed to do. So this year we have it running April and May. Um, but if you are interested to sign up, we highly recommend you get on our waitlist. Yep. If you go to mtapprenticeship.com, you'll uh, find the apprenticeship program, get on the waitlist, put your email on there, and then you will be the first to be notified, uh, hey, it's open, sign open up, up now.
1: Yep, jump in. Um, <clears throat> in our experience, this is not like a rabid rush and you have 30 seconds once it opens to get signed up. Um, it's it's usually a couple days, so um, don't feel a panic. But uh, go sign up. Those on the waitlist are the first to find out when it opens. And yeah, by a
0: couple days. By we don't, a couple days. We don't yeah. publicly announce it for a couple days after that, so the waitlist people have the first dibs.
1: Yeah, and then it's open, and the general public is aware. And then you know a few last minute people will trickle in. But in our experience, that's how it's worked. And um, yeah, we're excited about about jumping back into the apprenticeship program. It is always great to see the enthusiasm from the students, uh, You know, often tentative at first mm-hmm. in some of these operations, but by the end of the term... Uh, they're it's, singing. They're singing. There's confidence. <laughs> they're making stuff. They're thinking about the next things they're going to make. Uh, so it's always a lot of fun. Um, but for, for today, uh, we wanted to talk about something that we've been going back and forth on a bit. Um, Joshua put up a post on the Daily Dispatch, um, the m and Daily Dispatch, back in mid December, uh, and he called that post um, "in defense of maintenance." And so, I thought that would be a great topic for further discussion. And we've, this is the kind of thing that we we discuss, you know, often. And so we thought, let's let's Cause, kind of because we in. deal with it because we deal with it exactly. <laughs> like, ah, uh, why why is this doing this again? Yeah. Um. But I think it's it's really good food for thought in um, contemplating uh, the value of pursuing a more um, sort of engaged way of looking at the objects around us that make up our lives, rather than just looking for maintenance free options. Right. Right. Um and what does that do? And and really what is maintenance free anyway? Mm-hmm. But um we'll we'll talk about some of that. But this is
0: stuff. that the ideal? Right. Is the ideal that I can not pay attention at all to this thing because I know it'll just keep working. Yeah.
1: You just set it and forget it. Yep. And it's it's good for life. Um and is that just honestly is that just something that's been kind of foisted upon us mm. that actually no nothing is like that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you often find yourself more a slave of that thing because of how dependent you are on others to fix it. Yeah. So um,
0: so this was prompted by what uh-huh. I was doing one day is um, I have a, a back porch that's uh, heated, partially heated. Uh, it's a kind of a cold porch. Um, but on my cottage I have a porch and the I don't have a really you know like a four foot deep, frost wall concrete wall sort of thing so it's kind of on a floating uh, slab foundation and in this hard freeze we had um it it heaved just a little bit so that the door as i was swinging my exterior door starting to stick on the Mm -hmm. threshold it was getting stuck and so i said okay no big deal took out my my hand plane and a two inch chisel just to be able to get the last little bit and i just relieved the threshold just enough so that i could swing the door freely It was a two-minute job, Mm -hmm. and I've actually done it a few other times with other thresholds. As especially when you build a a brand new structure, whether it's an outbuilding or whatever, you get things settled and things. Well, they kind of settle in. They move and they kind of adjust, and then you have to, you know, fettle this and adjust this and get everything just so, and then you typically don't have as many issues after a few times of adjustment um so that's somewhat normal and that's by the way that's even true for furniture Uh you can build a cabinet that has a door that fits just so and you anticipate the amount of movement you're going to have and you give it you know if you're building it in winter you'd give it a little bit extra room because in summer it's going to swell and whatever but you're going to adjust it (laughs) yeah you're going to adjust it at least once or twice um and that's because wood moves yeah and adjusting for the seasons is a part of life with that object. If you're going to use wood, you're going to accept that. That's going to be a part of the reality of it. So, you know, we were, I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, I, I remember um, before I lived in this cottage, I was living in a manufactured home, uh-huh. a double-wide manufactured okay. home. All the doors were like plastic and <laughs> foam core and everything was stable and everything was set. Pretty predictable. Pretty predictable. And my bathroom door never stuck. Uh-huh. Well, actually, the bathroom door did for some reason. Right, right. It swelled up with the humidity so, um, But you know what I mean? Usually, the kitchen cabinets and all that stuff was just fixed, and you didn't have to deal with it at all. So moving into this cottage now, I am now adjusting and seasonally monitoring and tending to and caring for um, the, the moving components of my house. Uh-huh. And like I said, it's a two-minute job. It's not a big deal. But this post was just a reflection on what's the value of this? Is this just stupid? Mm-hmm. <laughs> should I just, what a waste of time. Should I just buy <clears throat> plastic doors and put those on because they won't move? Mm-hmm. Or is there some sort of value to uh, a maintenance and attentive life?
1: Right. Like So if you picture yourself walking around your house or your apartment or where you live, um, what kind of things jump out at you as things that require your attention? you know, or is it just as simple as you turn on the light switch, you turn on the, the kitchen sink, the water comes out, you close the valve, it doesn't drip, right? Uh, like what what sorts of situations are there that you've had to deal with repeatedly and how do you feel about that, I guess is the question. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, one thing that I thought of is in, in our house, our house is this um, timber frame house that has settled over the years and so there's a the floor kind of crests in the middle and both the downstairs and the upstairs, there's a, a high point that, I guess you could say all the water flows away from that. That's the continental divide of the house. Mm, and yeah. one side flows north and the other <laughs> flows south. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it, everything in that house is wood. All the wall sheathing is tongue and groove, pine. The ceilings are wood. The floor is wide pine. And then the, the timbers, of course. And so everything, you know, took some time to get settled down. And then uh, since we moved in, I've been working on it very slowly, um, building kitchen cabinets and things like that. And we have this one particular kitchen cabinet that in the winter, this door, it's like a frame and panel door, has an inch gap on the top right corner. And in the summer, it lays perfectly flat up against the cabinet. (laughs) And I've, I've talked to my wife, I've said, should I? I'm thinking of just making a new door because that's art and I've done, I've tried um, clamping it with a, like blocking it out on the bottom and clamping it to torque it. I've considered um, it's painted. I've considered taking it off and seeing if I I could use steam or something to manipulate it. But I have a feeling it's just the nature of that one uh, piece of wood that I used that whoever
0: cut that tree down was not paying attention. They weren't
1: paying attention. And now I'm, I'm looking at it and my wife says, I don't mind at all. It's fine. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, it's just, it bothers me. I I should do something about that. But it's stuff like that that you see um, and then, you know, you decide if you're going to deal with it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Or there are other things that just simply require regular maintenance. You know, Mm -hmm. um, if you think about, you know, your car, if you... Let's, okay, I'm assuming you're driving a gasoline-powered car, though there are people who, who are driving electric vehicles, which are lower maintenance, but you still have to do stuff like replace your tires uh, mm-hmm. if your tread wears down. You have to change your oil. If you don't, um, you're out of vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. It just won't continue um, to run. So uh, if you use, you know, your phone regularly updates automatically, you uh, you're often not even aware of it going on. But if it didn't, if you turn off those updates, eventually it would simply no longer work because it could no longer run certain applications or things like that. So Mm -hmm. maintenance is a part of life, whether it's something we're actively doing or whether we allow others to do it for
0: us. So, I mean, that's uh, I think that's mostly true, but I think there is a difference. There's a big difference between buying so we were talking about you know let's say windows you have old windows and mm-hmm. modern double pane windows or something or anything any you know plastic door right if i were to buy a plastic hollow core doors or something like that and get them settled and then they're, they're going to be in place um, they're probably not going to move too much they're probably going to be um, especially if it's an exterior door it's just what what you do is you're setting up a situation that you won't have to adjust it but in order to create something that's that stable, you end up using plastics and things like that. Yeah. That when those break, yeah, they're not actually repairable. Yeah, they're you, replaceable.
1: You have to get rid of them.
0: So the only alternative <clears throat> to to maintaining your stuff is to be a consumer. Right. To be completely dependent on some expert or specialist, you call them and say, you know, I don't know. Either you say, um, can you come and fix this thing because I don't know what's going on with it? Uh-huh. Or you say, well, this stupid plastic door is broken and now I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to have to go buy a different one and replace it. You can't just plane it right. and adjust the fit. It's, right. Something's astray with it. So this is true uh, with with house construction. It's true. It's just a general principle that most things, not everything, but most things that are made to be maintenance-free are not Repairable. Yeah,
1: they actually they have a shelf life.
0: Yeah, then. that's it. It's a shelf life. That's your trade. Not repairable, and so it's sort of a, a closed unit. Mm-hmm. It's a closed uh, circle. It's like yeah, set it and forget it, and then replace it.
1: Yeah, the the uh, the maintenance free vinyl window. As soon as it gets moisture between your panes, that's it. It's done. The, yeah, there's no fixing that. There's no repairing it. Um, <clears throat> but it's. I find it interesting, and we'll talk a little bit about um, Robert Persig in a little bit in his book, uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, but I find it interesting how in this day and age, maintenance is, is almost a, a dirty word. Nobody likes doing it. And we even talk about um, maintaining our health as almost burdensome. Mm. Um, you know, people... People complain about the slog to the gym, or oh, I need to get my steps in, or oh, you know, I have to eat more vegetables. Oh, it's such a, <laughs> such a, such a burden to take care of ourselves. Um, and I think a or lot even of even
0: eating at all, it, right? It's, it's inconvenient or sleeping, eating or sleeping right. is Sleep? inconvenient.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's such an interesting way of looking at. Um, you know, the, preserving this a gift of health if we have it, you mm-hmm. know, you don't realize how much you'd miss it until you don't have it. Um, and then you wish you had done a lot of different things through your life. Um, <clears throat> but it's just so interesting because so many people look at health in terms of this uh, kind of like this reductionist view, like, um, you know, how many steps I'm getting in. Uh, you know, you look at your your macronutrients in your diet or you look at how uh, your 60-minute your spin class or how much time you spend on the Peloton or whatever, and you're really just turning it into this little chunk of time in your life that you just want to get over with. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to do as little as possible, as fast as possible. Uh, and at best, you don't have to do any, any of that at all.
0: What's that electric ab thing? From the, <laughs> remember that? Maybe it still exists, but I remember back when I was younger, it's like This like- electroshock therapy. Electroshock there. You just like plug it in. And you, so you can sit there and there watch TV. And watch TV and your abs are getting worse. They're contracting like, like from the- That's like the epitome of, I hate maintaining my body, but right. I have to. So I'll just plug it into this stuff.
1: Yeah, I'll just <laughs> let it do the work <laughs> for me. It's like your phone updating in your pocket while you're doing something else. You're updating your body uh, <clears throat> while you- do whatever you want to do,
0: but that mentality, as silly as that is, I hope no one listening uses that kind of thing. That's silly, but if even if that's not the case, that principle applies to so many different things. Mm-hmm. Where it's just, oh, this is just a burden. It's just a burden to take care of mm-hmm. my body, <clears throat> my garden, my kids, yeah, my reputation, <laughs> right, right, whatever. right. You know that that uh, caring is a burden, and I think that's just such an interesting thing because that, to me, is really the heart of it. And I think um, the the care and the attention. Because a lot of this kind of discussion, if we're we're thinking about um, everything we've been talking about, taking care of your stuff, fixing things, um, a lot of people would frame this in terms of uh, the term self-reliance. They'd use that word, say, oh, I want to move towards self-reliance. And I know that people typically tend to describe that in terms of they mean agency, that I'm Mm -hmm. able to take care of things. And I, Amen. That's great. I appreciate that. But I'm not sure that I really am a big fan of the term self-reliance as the paradigm for engagement. If you say, why should you take care of your stuff? Because you want to be self-reliant. You don't want to be dependent on anyone else. That way of going about it, I, I'm not a huge fan of. But I would say it this way. what, what I When I wrote in Defense of Maintenance, what I was specifically talking about is that what I was aiming at is that maintenance, what's valuable about it is it forces you. It requires attentiveness. It requires Mm -hmm. your attention to these things. You have to, it forces you to say, hey, it says, hey, remember me? Remember me? Mm -hmm. And your, your attention is drawn to it. And that attention and that care is participation. And that for me is the heart of it, that Maintenance leads to participation in the things of your life, mm-hmm. and so my defense of maintenance <clears throat> is the the necessity of participating in the things of your life, yep. as opposed to I'm a rugged individualist. I'm autonomous. I don't need anybody else. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's something I think more rich than just to describe it in terms of be involved, yeah, and appreciate it.
1: And <clears throat> you know, part of the involvement means um, uh, you know gaining knowledge. I I would Mm -hmm. use that, you know, how knowledge, wisdom, they're, they're a similar concept, but like, um, when you, when you're using a a device, let's, let's bring in the device paradigm, right? Mm -hmm. We like to talk about, you're using a device that you don't understand. You don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to maintain it. You just know you get something out of it that you like, Mm -hmm. right? You know that it makes your life better or more comfortable, easier. So you really like that. But when that thing that you don't understand breaks, uh, you're you're stuck. You know, you you don't have the the knowledge to fix it. So part of that attentiveness is uh, is seeking a deeper understanding of yep. the things that we're using every day, right? So, um, <clears throat> you know, if if there's something in your house, ha- if you have a leaking faucet. You're not just like, oh my goodness. Well, the plumber can't get here for three weeks. You know, there's this massive backlog, and I am, I'm stuck with this dripping faucet. Or, you know, if you have a pipe burst in your basement, and what do you do if nobody can come out? You, you're without water. You know, or um, you can try to educate yourself. You can try to learn the very basic skills it would require to at least get that thing temporarily fixed, so that. You're not completely dependent on the skills of someone else to keep those systems going that you, uh, you know, have have grown to be become
0: dependent on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and for me, just listening to you say that, I'm just thinking about this house project we've been doing, and the reason where I wanted to build my own house is because I do not know how to build my own house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because right. I thought, hey, that's how you learn. Yeah, you just that is how you roll learn. up your sleeves and yeah. you do it and i think you know as you know mike you've been helping me through so many different uh, situations setting up the cottage and now the house and different ins and outs and plumbing and wiring and those sorts of things that uh, i don't have that background knowledge and so it's the that for me is is a reason to then learn how to maintain my stuff mm-hmm. that's saying okay i don't know how to do this okay well then that's the reason i should do it right and what's what's been great for me about it is It's it's a huge leap to go from no knowledge to say, well, I'm just gonna resolve to take care of it myself. Yeah. And then just start poking around in the breaker box and try Mm -hmm. to figure it out. Right. That that's I would not recommend that sort of move or cobble together some sort of plumbing. What you can do though, and what I've been doing is Pulling on people I know, call my father in law, call you, and say, "What the heck's going on with this? Help me! Can you just give me a minute and help me troubleshoot? Mm-hmm. Why is this pipe frozen? Why is it stuck over here?" And so, I am employing the skill and wisdom of other people, mm-hmm. but it's not bypassing me. I'm not saying, "Here, I'll hand you some cash. Right. Could you go yeah, fix my you're problem?" You're absorbing over there? that. Yeah. I'm saying, "Please <clears> guide me through this. Be my mentor. Yeah, be my mentor and teach me how do I how I can fix this stuff." And every time I go through a troubleshooting scenario with you or with my father-in-law or whatever, I now go, oh. And next time something happens and comes up, I I already have categories. I'm already, and maybe I'm going to call you again and say I'm still stuck. Mm -hmm. I I tried the thing we did last time, but it didn't work. But what is exhilarating about it is I'm gaining knowledge and understanding uh, with the stuff of my life a little bit more every time. So that for me is the goal: is to try to you know, do that. And even though, you know, I'm gonna, we were talking about calling a plumber to come in and do some of the key plumbing components of my house. Great. I'm gonna be right there watching. Mm-hmm. I wanna soak right. up as much Not as I can. Not just send him it. out
1: there to do the work and then say, yeah. tell me when you're done. Yeah. Um Yeah, I, I think what kind of the way I think about this sort of thing is in in our lives, we have all these things that some of which we understand very well. You know, we have... Uh, in in your vocation, like say, you understand the in, ins and outs of that that business, that thing that you do, on on a regular basis, better than most of the people in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a great deal of clarity there. And then you you can imagine looking around you at the other things that they become hazier, they become more gray, right? And so as you look around where you are, you know, if you might look at your car and that's a gray area, right? It's like, I don't know. I, or a black area or a black, It's just, it's, it's just darkness. empty or, but, but what becomes really um, dangerous, I think, is like some of these studies, some of these surveys from the UK that have come out in recent years that say that like most people in their 20s aren't super confident changing a light bulb, right? Or, you know, extremely basic things like cooking a very simple meal, a lot of people, more than you'd imagine, are not confident enough to do that. And what they do is, well, you know, what would you do if you weren't confident cooking a meal? You'd either eat terrible food that's uncooked or you microwave meals all the time, or you're ordering out. You're spending a tremendous amount of money because you never took the time to learn how to do something. Mm-hmm. Something that people should be able to do. Um, <clears throat> and so, it's interesting to imagine a life in which everything around you is a gray area except the one
0: thing you do. Mm-hmm. Which is called modernity. <laughs> it is modernity. That's the definition That's it. of modernity. So
1: we are hyper specialists, right? <laughs> and so we depend on others for everything but our specialty in our mm-hmm. lives. And um, that that is um, really a ticket to be to be taken advantage of in many ways. And so you know, kind of what we're talking about today is, you know, broadening that, you know, yeah, I getting would say, more detail in those gray areas. Yeah, it's
0: not special. It's not being an expert at everything. It's just broad competence. Yeah, yeah, Being broadly competent.
1: Yeah, because when you look at something, like it, you don't have to, like you're saying, it doesn't all have to be perfectly in focus, mm-hmm. but if you can get your mind around some basic understandings of things, you you can ask the right questions. If you don't even know what question to ask, then you are you're pretty stranded. Mm-hmm. But um, being able to ask the right questions and to to be able to uh, find the information you need, because you have a very rough understanding of something, you can always sketch in the details of mm-hmm. that understanding. Um, but yeah, so some of the some of the areas that um, uh, I was thinking about in terms of like some of the the funky stuff we do around here you're talking about windows i was thinking about um the building that the uh the carpenters the carpenter um carpenter frontier uh came and built for us in 2019 mm-hmm. the the hand-hewn uh smithy right next door um that's sitting on a, a unique foundation do you want to describe Just the foundation?
0: Granite blocks. Granite blocks. Just um, sitting on- On grade. Yeah, I think they're like 16-inch cubes of, mm-hmm. of granite sitting on grade. Yeah. And then there's a little tiny granite block on top of that that's the size of the sill mm-hmm. so that it's um, basically keeping the sill up off that granite. So when rain comes down, it's not pooling under the, the sill and rotting yep. the sill. That's it.
1: Yeah. So this foundation is um, it's traditional- it's a fairly typical foundation for older buildings in, you know, Scandinavia and Sweden, mm-hmm. things like that, um, where, uh, you know, you have these boulders on grade, or in our case, some of them had to be dug down in because the the land to slants a ma- little. Yeah, that's right. So make some of them are slightly below grade, uh, but not for frost heaving purposes. No. I don't know I don't know where you live here in New England, especially as far north as we are, um, Things heave like crazy when we have freezes and thaws. You know. Did we are, already
0: talk about the hinges on this podcast? <clears throat> I don't know. The steps?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. So <laughs> if you have hinges... I don't hinges, know. If uh, you've
0: if, heard this before on an episode, yeah. sorry. I don't remember what we've said on this podcast yeah. before. But
1: like if you have a set of stairs coming off your deck, you hang them with hinges so that as the ground moves, the stairs don't rip themselves off the deck.
0: Yeah, you know you're from Maine. <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. have hinges on your front yeah. steps.
1: <laughs> so the like the frost line is is like four and, four and a half feet deep. That that's how far down you have to go to lay a quote unquote proper foundation, right? Mm-hmm. So that it won't freeze and heave. Um, but these these granite blocks are sitting right on top of the ground, just like they do in Scandinavia, and they know. They know cold. I think
0: it's cold there.
1: I think it's a little colder there than here. Um, they're a little further north than we are. But um, a lot of old buildings had the system, and the thing about it was, if your granite block heaved, what you do is you jack up your building and you put a smaller rock on top and put your building or back a down. bigger rock in another or a area, a bigger, whatever. You adjust it, right? So there's a there's a semi regular maintenance that you'd have to do. Um, when that adjustment is necessary. Now, yeah. it's been... uh, It's now 2024. It's been almost five years.
0: Coming up on five, years. For yeah. that
1: building. Uh, we haven't touched it yeah. in terms of adjusting that. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, eventually, maybe, I don't know.
0: We'll change out the size of the rock. Right. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> um. But it, there's nothing radically
0: off-kilter about it. It's an outbuilding, too. I mean, right. there aren't... It's just... It's a smithy. It's an outbuilding. It doesn't have... Plumbing, heat, electric, anything like that. So those things have to be accounted for if you uh-huh. were going to do such a thing for a, you know a home. But- right.
1: But it's so simple. I mean, yep. it is so simple, and the trade-off with simplicity, um, and and longevity, is often a little bit of maintenance. And the same can be said about these windows. You know, right now we're we're sitting in the shop looking through our set of, you know, these windows are at least a hundred years old. Yeah. Um, they're windows that, that you hauled out of a, a junk shop. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, they had most of the panes of glass intact.
0: Yeah. I, and I chose the ones that had the glass in there. Mm-hmm. And I bought a few extras because we'd break, break them. I think I paid 10 or $15 a piece per sash. Yeah. You know, two sashes, two, two windows per uh, double hung sash mm-hmm. windows. So that's pretty inexpensive. Yeah. Took a bunch of work but yep. you know a handful of hours per window to replace the glazing and do all that kind of stuff um but those windows are already 100 150 years old or whatever right. and they're going to last mm-hmm. i i can't imagine why they would not last another 100 years if they yeah. were not maintained if, if as long maintained, as they were maintained
1: yeah they could last indefinitely
0: so then the question is you know the classic the reason that i could buy those yeah is because the house that those that those windows were from, somebody convinced the owner of that house, hey, it's a little drafty in there. Yeah. And look at what you need. Look at all the putty coming off the panes. I mean, these old windows, they're just yeah, not what you want. Yeah, those are those old. You know what you need? Windows. You need double pane, you know, yeah. was it argon-filled windows? Yeah, That's look, really going to be look. nice and tight. And so what this poor person did <clears throat> is they took all the old windows out, they got double pane windows, and since they've gotten rid of them, I guarantee you they've already replaced those double pane windows yeah. because it's they have a twenty year lifestyle. Twenty
1: year, yeah. And so those windows, once you once they're manufactured, the clock is ticking, right? Yep. And so those seals that are insulate or yeah insulating the space between the glass, they are. Uh, you know, the clock is ticking. They're
0: not repairable. Right. There is no one on the planet who has the skills. You can't just like repair, you can't send them out. Oh, hey, do some adjustment, refill it with argon or it, <clears> it is uh, not possible to repair them or it's not economical to repair them. It's right. cheaper, to even though it's not out. cheap yeah. to just rip them out of your wall, the whole unit, the whole thing, throw it in a landfill and buy a brand new one and put yeah. it in.
1: Yeah, Joshua, I was telling you about a quote uh, I heard for somebody for their, their house. They had this, it's like a 1910 kind of stick style, what they call a cottage out here mm-hmm. on the coast of Maine. And for their windows, the, the quote to replace them all was $27,000. <laughs> <laughs> and so thinking about that in terms of they said, well, you know, those old windows, you know, you can feel a little, a little air in the wintertime coming through them. And so I would just wonder, would you save $27,000 in heating costs over the lifespan over of that new set years. of windows? Yeah. I find that really hard to believe. <laughs> Though maybe it's possible, but the thing is, the thing with these windows is, and there, there's some research to, to show this, that these really super simple single pane sash windows, uh, if the glazing's in good shape, and if you fit them with a storm sash on the outside, mm-hmm. or you can do it on the inside... Right. they are nearly as efficient if not as efficient as those uh, those factory produced double pane uh, new windows yep. right and they they will keep you as warm
0: mm-hmm. um, but so, you know they what's last. interesting about that in my cottage you know by the way so um, there's a, a company that has um, they're called it's called window dressers you could look them up window dressers it's in Maine um, but it's it's this company that's set up to be this sort of co-op thing that you can uh, team up with other people in the area who want these windows. And all it is, is it's basically a storm window, but it's just plastic sheeting. So it's, it's a simple wooden frame, um, that you, they put, uh, the, uh, window plastic around both sides. And then they have a little heat, heat gun situation that they, uh, you know, shrink it nice and tight, like a drum. And then they put, uh, a gasket material around all four sides and it's designed to, it's their custom fit to each window in your house, and you just pop them in. And they're really relatively inexpensive. I think it was like thirty-five dollars a piece. <laughs> but then you go volunteer labor to help yeah. build them, and so everybody cool. pays a, few, a little bit. They all volunteer together. They all build them, and it's all systematized. There's a big book you look through. Mm-hmm. And everybody does this. Now you do this. So it's a community effort. For this company is um, is able to provide the materials. And get their costs covered with the thirty-five bucks a piece, but that's really inexpensive. And I go pitch in an eight-hour shift with my neighbors, and we all build these things for each other. Um, and it's a cool thing. So it's it's two layers of plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you know the um, the uh, hair dryer on the window, the plastic right. sheeting, but Shrink. it's it's two layers wrapped around this thing, um, and this panel just pops right in.
1: It pops in on the
0: inside. On the inside. Yeah. And so we have single pane windows on the outside, which are not super, super tight. There are, there are some gaps when we installed them. Um, but then you, you pop in these um, these panels, these plastic panels, and it's just super, sure. super high performance. Um, I'm not saying it's the equivalent of a double pane window. Right. I'm just saying mm-hmm. with a little tiny bit, a few little materials and some community partnering up and you can make these things. They don't I mean they're simple, you could do them yourself. But you can all of a sudden avoid every 20 years replacing yeah. these. The average double pane window replaced it averages around $800 mm-hmm. per window installed. I yeah. mean, you buy the you buy the window, you have the carpenter remove the old one, Modify dispense it, the old it, opening, adjust yeah. it. So it averages, mm-hmm. if you look this up, it's, you know, $700 up to $1,400 for some specialty windows or whatever, but average is about $800 a window mm-hmm. times every window in your house <clears throat> every 20 years. Yeah, That adds up. Yep. That adds up really quick, and it's crazy to think about that filling a landfill for, yeah. for no reason, yeah. for no benefit. It's yeah. just a hassle.
1: <laughs> yeah, to, to think about, you know, what is the value of being willing to put in a little maintenance? Like there... You know, you're not claiming that those internal storm windows are the best thing that money can buy, but or it performs the, almost the as the most well. efficient. Yeah. No, right? It, it performs most... almost as well as the best money can buy for a tiny fraction of what the best the money can buy can mm-hmm. do, and it keeps going. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's it's a really interesting thing to think about. Um, <clears throat> you know, when when you start looking at different places in life when or, or where you could, you could become a little bit more engaged, you know, uh, you could become a little bit more, uh, under more knowledgeable about the things around you and how you can, um, apply yourself to learn, apply, you know, do some of the maintenance yourself. Um, you know, the cost savings is unbelievable.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I just think, um, I'm not sure that that is made enough of these mm-hmm. days. Like a lot of people, just want the the satisfaction of you know, like you're saying, the self reliance. I feel satisfied because I know how to do the, this DIY thing. Now I'm able to do this, but you save so much money. Uh, it is it is crazy. You know, I um I consider what you know, say typical vehicle maintenance costs and. I don't know how I could have afforded to drive a car, you know, years ago. And even recently considering, like thinking about if every time something would go wrong with a vehicle, I had to pay someone to fix it, that adds up to a fortune over time. And, you know, there are probably a lot of people listening who are like, yeah, it does. It's absolutely horrible. And, um, But the amount of money you can save by learning some of the basics in that regard it adds up really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that, when you think about uh, all the different areas in life where you can learn, um, and, and even making like lifestyle choices, like we are talking about uh, Dick Prenicke, mm-hmm. right? And um, he, he's the man who lived up on, I think it was Lake Clark in Alaska. He lived there for 30, 35 years. Um, he did some, some filming of himself like doing the, the work on building his cabin and how he would build different things, how he survived and, and thrived up there. Um, what he did in his life was he cut out the things that he himself could not, um, he couldn't do himself. Like the, mm-hmm. those skill sets that evaded him, he just said, I'm gonna do without that. you know. And so he lived this... Uh, kind of Thoreauvian cabin existence, except he was doing his own laundry, unlike Thoreau. Um, <laughs> he, you know, an actual Thoreauvian existence instead of the sort of fake one that Thoreau lived. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <Okay. clears throat> Prenichian existence, maybe you could say. Um, but he...
0: Prenichian? Pre,
1: pre, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Prenichian. He, he chose a lifestyle that his skill set could encompass.
0: And yeah, I, so... I think that's a really interesting thing to mull over because mm-hmm. I mean that's that is absolutely not uh for a lot of people that would be you would not have you'd basically I think make food and mm-hmm. you'd be naked.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's right.
0: <laughs> Which sounds kind of fun, I yeah, guess. It's maybe it, the climates right. I don't, I don't know. Uh yeah, not in Maine. But no. um but so, you know, he had certain things that he was able to do. Um, and he said, "This is these are the things then that I will have uh, as parts of my life. Um, and so it's, it's interesting thinking about, you know, okay, I have my life. I'm married with three kids. I'm running a business, running a publication, mm-hmm. doing editorial work, receiving manuscripts from other people, uh, recording a podcast, right? Uh, all sorts of this things. This would
1: be hard to do on our own skill. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. If, if I knew how to, you know build and maintain this microphone and yeah. this computer or whatever but so i think it's it's interesting just thinking about okay it's one thing to say okay dick prenecke he just cut out of his life everything he didn't know how to do mm-hmm. okay yeah well that it limits a he lot was of obviously
1: us. a super skilled guy but yeah. he also you know he would ride on a bush plane mm-hmm. right to get in and out and that was that was not consistent with that way of thinking. And he was fine with it. It wasn't like he was sure. some rigid person saying, "I will only do this and sure. nothing more." Right. But there were allowances. The fact that he filmed himself, he he shot those videos, is another one. You mm-hmm. know, like he wasn't he wasn't building these cameras. He was using this technology, and he was using it. Uh, you know, I would say for the betterment of others. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just his his narcissistic project to watch films of himself. He wanted sure. to get it out there and say, "Look at this! This is great! This is awesome! This is so much fun!" Yeah. Um,
0: and, so, and so, yeah, I think that there are. It's like this. There's like a diminishing return sort of thing. You know, we were talking about Linux uh, this morning earlier, <laughs> yeah. thinking about okay, learning how to use Linux and getting out of this mm-hmm. um,
1: as opposed to Windows c- controlled or, or system where you're
0: kind of just you know let along and getting into Linux. And I can, you know, I understand philosophically that the value of being able, I understand how this program works. I'm in control of this program. I'm not, you know, my options aren't limited. Um, but there is this diminishing returns thing too, that I have to say, okay, how many hours do I have in my day? And how am I going to invest my time? And I just am thinking about, as we're talking about um, what we're Holding up as what we're trying to shoot for is a lifetime pursuit of increasing capacities Mm -hmm. and agency. Right? Yeah. It's not having X amount of capacity. It's the trajectory of having a mentality of I would like to learn how to do this. Right. Right. So I think we're all in a place that we're we are reaping the benefits of the communal wisdom around us, people Mm -hmm. to be able to build this computer and all sorts of things. Um, but if our mentality is only ever consumer, then we're, we're not participating and we're, yeah. we're checking out of it. So I think that's the thing for me thinking about, um, even using the, uh, my computer and, and using design programs and things like that, um, Having ready in my mind that I'm not just subject, but I'm I'm a participant in this process, really is is the key for me. And so I do end up choosing to use computers and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Photoshop mm-hmm. and different things to to for a particular application. And um, I just think that's that's wise media ecology. That's just wise assessment of assessing a technology and saying, how can this serve me? Right. Uh, and, and then keeping it within those bounds yep. and not letting technology run over us right. and say, well, I'll just do you know whatever someone can hand to me, I'll take that. But if I have to stand up and roll up my sleeves, I don't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, we speak in uh, hushed tones of awe when we think about the, um, the people in days gone by who would lay out Say a publication by literally cutting and pasting, you know, the physical layout, you know, where today you can move things around with the click of a button, make them bigger, make them smaller. It is almost unbelievable to mm-hmm. consider that most things were done very manually not very long ago. And to say <clears throat> this publication that we're doing, if we were to do it all manually, that's a mind boggling amount of work mm-hmm. um so we're very grateful for uh the brilliance of those who who design these machines that allow us to do this um and we're also pretty dependent on that mm-hmm. right to do this to do this magazine like i don't know that we could make a manual copy of morris and tenon magazine maybe with enough time yeah that's a lot of time
0: that'd be an annual publication <laughs> not be, a biannual uh, yeah
1: every two years instead of twice <laughs> oh a yeah,
0: year. yeah there we go <laughs> um
1: But yeah, I, um, a really good book I've read that, that ponders this is, it's actually the best selling book of philosophy in, in English ever written. Um, it's called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, um, by Robert Persig. And he has these series of, um, interactions with different characters that are, they're really funny. (laughs) Um, they're, they're amusing. Um, so, um, Persig and his son are taking this cross-country motorcycle trip, and there are two people that accompany them for a while. Uh, their names are the, the Sutherlands, and it's John and Sylvia, husband and wife. And uh, this couple, and to Persig can't stand this aspect of them, but they absolutely hate the concept of maintenance. They went and they bought a top-of-the-line motorcycle, which had really good... Um, is this BMW motorcycle that had, you know, everybody said they're bulletproof, right? They last forever. And so their hope was that that meant they never had to do anything with it. Um, because they disdained the idea of maintenance and they disdained the idea of having to learn and understand how something works because they're like, we bought it. It should just do what it's been sold, you know, sold to do, um, so they're always hoping for the best, but when the worst happens, they're completely stuck. And so uh, there are a few different scenes that are really funny because Persig, he also owns a motorcycle that has really good maintenance records. He has a Honda, but he's constantly, you know, he's like, I'm going to adjust this a little bit. I think I can improve it a little. I'm going to change the oil. It's time to do this. And he, he really gets a lot of... um Joy out of maintaining it. He contrasts these two views as like the romantic view versus the classical view. His is the classical view, and the um, the Sutherlands are the romantic view. They they just want the freedom of the open road. They want the machine to disappear into the background. It just they they want it to enable their freedom without mm-hmm. having to think about it at all. And Persig's like, well, part of the joy and the freedom is the machine also, and and your knowledge of it, and your understanding it, like mm. you actually, um, you know, your your agency can actually extend through the machine, right? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who who ride motorcycles and race them, who talk about you, you can feel the tires contact patch on the ground. It like becomes part of you. And so he's like extending his agency through this machine and they're like, we just want it to be invisible. We don't wanna mm-hmm. think about it. So there are a couple of different scenes through there. He talks about at one point before this trip, he was in the Sutherland's house and he noticed the the kitchen faucet was dripping. And the wife was like yelling at her kids and she seemed like annoyed because she was having to shout over this dripping sound. And he asked the husband, he's like, "Did um what do you think about fixing that?" And he's like, "Oh, I tried. I tried to fix it." Like that's the end of it, right? He tried to fix it, <laughs> it didn't work. Therefore, it is what it is. He's like, no, I mean you could fix it, <laughs> you know. There's a right way of doing it, but um, it's just—it's really funny the way he he uses um, this couple to introduce this concept that um, maintenance, which is you know a part of the title of this book, it's actually part and parcel with engagement. It's actually part of what it is to live in this world and enjoy the things of this world, like taking care of them. So um, <clears throat> Matthew Crawford, who we really like, um, we actually sell one of his books in our store, uh, he was really inspired by Persig. And if, if any of you know Matthew Crawford, you know that he um, owned and operated, I'm not sure if he's still running it, um, a motorcycle repair shop. Yeah, I'm not sure. So he's, he's a philosopher, he also is a mechanic. And so he's really inspired by Persig and what he wrote. And he, he says this he, in describing Persig. He says, His way of living with machines doesn't rely on the seductions of effortless convenience. It requires us to get our hands dirty, to be self-reliant. In Zen, that's the book, uh, we see a man maintaining direct engagement with the world of material objects. And with it, some measure of independence, both from the purveyors of magic... And from cultural despair. Uh, so I thought that was really a, a good summary of the mindset of Persig in this book, you know, in directly engaging those things that we rely on
0: getting uh, hands dirty,
1: getting your hands dirty. Yeah. And we we gain a freedom from being taken advantage of. We gain a freedom. He he calls it the purveyors of magic, right? <laughs> they they hand you a device, and you're like, oh, it's so magical, it's so easy, it's so intuitive, you know, until it breaks, <laughs> and then um, then we're stuck. But and that's the condition he calls cultural despair.
0: Yeah, and so I think that's the that's the heart of what we've been talking about with this. This call, this defense of maintenance uh, as a way of life, this getting hands dirty, this call to uh, you know, self-reliance, if you want to use that word, or I would say you know, active participation in the things of life, um, this direct engagement, as Crawford put it, um, this, this direct engagement with the world, mm-hmm. uh, being able to, to see these things and appreciate them and to deepen your enthusiasm about the world mm-hmm. through understanding things better. Yeah. If you have no understanding of mechanics, you're not obviously going to be able to appreciate mechanics. Mm-hmm. And if you have a little bit of understanding, now your appreciation for those who mechanics, people who repair mechanics, your appreciation for them goes way up because mm-hmm. you realize I didn't even know what they know. Right. Wow. So I think it's an exciting thing. Uh, it's it's always exhilarating, and I will confess that it is exhausting because you get, there's no external drive, at least in my (laughs) life. Nobody's goading me saying, Joshua, you need to keep learning the next thing. Keep pushing, Mm -hmm. keep learning. I'm just so stinking fascinated with (laughs) this stuff that I'm like, it's hard to like lay down and go to sleep. It's I just want to learn more. I just want to see how this works. Can you teach me? Can you show me how to? And I don't think that's necessarily just you know, a personality quirk or something. Mm. But I think it's just part of this path that once you start tasting the success, once you start tasting um, a deeper knowledge of things, okay. you want to learn more. You want to yep. keep going. You want to keep broadening your frame of reference and deepening your appreciation. So that's the that's the call. That's the that's the drive. That's the aim that we have is to try to keep doing that. Yeah. Keep growing in in skill to increase the challenge, to increase the joy. Mm-hmm right? Yeah. Um, And uh, directly engaging.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So thank you everyone for listening to the Mortis and Tenon podcast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any comments or questions, uh, please leave them below. And if you could, leave us a review for our podcast. We really appreciate, especially positive, but all reviews that you might leave.
0: And if they're funny, we like them even more. We
1: like funny reviews. They're great. So uh, we'll catch you next time.